All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we have Matt McNair on the line. Pretty amazing stories here. First of all, 26 years at the same company, but prior to, prior to professional boat builder, which is really cool and near and dear to my heart, honestly, because and we were talking about doctors and lawyers earlier and completely stereotyping them as tightwads and unable to spend money, which is completely okay. We can do that on this show because I run the show and I come from a family full of doctors and it's totally true. I grew up spending all my time in Maine with my father, who is a doctor and has a 42-foot tiara, and he's also a captain. So he has like the double whammy for you. So he's got a boat business and he's a doctor. So that's like a double whammy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> We've got to convince him to spend money on his boat and he also uses it as a business. But a little side note, all the pictures that you ever saw taken of George Bush, both 41 and 43, I believe, were taken from my dad's boat in Kenny Bunkport, Maine. Wow. So yeah, the, the Navy SEALs used to come dive underneath his boat and then the press secretary would jump on and be like, okay, when the president goes out fishing, you got to follow him. Matt, you started off boat building. Let's just kind of retell that story a little bit real quick, like how you started. Well, just getting to the process of, you know, working with my father in his business, building boats from scratch, um, doing repairs. And also on the off season, when he didn't have any work for the boats, we would be building houses, doing remodels and things like that. It's very rewarding work, very difficult work and difficult work to find the right work so that you would actually feel good about what you're doing. And it just got to the point in my life where I wasn't really finding the work that I wanted to do. I love working with wood. I love, you know, building things and creating things. But, you know, it just got to the point. I just, I needed to change my career. And uh, I was thinking of getting into, basically went to school for audio and and music. And again, that probably wasn't the best decision. (laughs) Not a lot of work out there for that. I went for creative writing, so... There you go. I feel like... You know, it's... it's <laughs> we go... We, we try to go after our heart, you know? You try to find something where you're, you're going to fulfill yourself in one way, shape, or form. And I'm still a musician. I still do audio, and I actually do some work in audio audio area. That process kind of brought me into the technical area where I really like computers. I've always been kind of a computer geek. I started out with a TSR, TSR-11, Commodore 64. I went through maybe three or four different versions of the Apple II+. Plus. Your typical starting off and just going, what the hell can I do with this stuff? And then during that time, you know, working really hard, building things. And I met a woman who worked here at the business and working now at Threshold Enterprises, met her through friends, became a very good friend of hers for many years. Uh, after several years, we decided to become more than just friends and decided to uh, live together. And at the time, she was the shipping and pulling supervisor for Threshold Enterprises. And she decided at some point that she needed some help. She was having difficulty hanging on to people. They had some challenges as far as getting things shipped out the door. They were working with the UPS at the time. And at the time, that the closest hub, UPS hub, was in Sacramento. So we would have to ship things out to Sacramento as opposed to having UPS pick up our material. They actually couldn't bring a large enough truck to pick up our material, which was kind of a challenge. So what I did is I helped her set up what we called the hub, shipping things out from a LTL to the hub. And that turned out to be very successful. And during that process, I helped her set up an actual packing and shipping system for Threshold, managing all of the packages that they were shipping out. And I figured, you know, I just do that for a couple of weeks. (laughs) 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 And then I just, I found that there are issues, other issues and other opportunities at Threshold up to including their inventory control, which they actually didn't have much of at the time. They knew they needed things when the inventory went negative. That was kind of how they were managing things. 
back in the day. So then I started getting involved with their technical aspects as far as how they're keeping track of inventory. At the time, we were using a, what was, I guess you call a mini computer. It was a, a mainframe, 150 megabyte hard drive with uh, 24 MUX connections, terminals. It was usable. We had to back it up about once every six hours just in case it would crash, and it did crash occasionally. So I got very familiar with that system. How are you backing it up? Oh, just a tape. We literally back up the entire image of the hard drive to a tape. It was called HMS Sparkle was the name of the operating system. I think it was also used by Threshold Purchase Assistant from a, a lumber company, I think, that was using it for their inventory and accounting. And from that point, it just kind of spawned into me being involved with uh, setting up our first network, learning how to deal with, at the time, Windows NT, which was new to me. That was more of a Mac guy at the time. So rewind to buying a used server, HMS Sparkle. Yep, HMS Sparkle uh, as the operating system. I'm not really familiar with the hardware. It was a mini computer. And I got intimately involved with that and figuring out how to get that to function. And then at that point in time, it came to the point where we realized that that was about 2000 when, you know, everybody's, you know, freaking out about, you know, is it Y2K compliant? And we decided to take one of their test systems. We had three systems altogether, a Mark V, Mark VI, and a Mark XII. We took the Mark V and said, okay, what, what happens if we roll this to 2000? What's going to happen? And it broke. <laughs> so we went to the person who was supporting us at the time, and he said, yeah, there's probably not much you can do. So this is like a real Y2K failure story. Oh, yeah, big time. Luckily, we, did, we tested it before we went there, you know? The first Y2K yeah. failure story that we've recorded here. Here's the thing. This is like more like a show about appreciation for IT directors really appreciating their job and, and loving it because you came from the like hardcore breathing in fiberglass fumes to, I mean, really kind of like almost the dream IT job, which is like solving problems, you know, like on a daily basis and really kind of building. I mean, you're like the whole lifeline now kind of like of building this network and everything the changes have got to be so drastic over 26 years. I mean, what does the oh, network look like massive. Now? Not just technology. I mean, our company literally came from the garage. And it's gone through so many different changes in just how our industry has been driving us and the people that have been involved with it. And, and there's no two days that are the same. It's always different. It's constantly changing, which I love. And there's constantly challenges. And I'm constantly fixing things because, you know, with business, you know, it's being driven as hard as it is. And this is, we're talking about, you know, nutraceutical materials. We supply material for Source Nationals Planetary as the two brands that we manufacture. We also distribute about 400 other companies and products. So that industry right now is just exploding because, you know, people don't want to have to go to the doctor because they realize it's going to cost them an arm and a leg, almost literally. They want to be healthy and they're looking for alternatives. They're looking for ways of keeping themselves healthy. And that industry has been driving our business like crazy. Biggest problem right now we have is keeping it on the shelf. That's our problem. And to do that, we have to be agile and we have to be able to change our business very quickly at a moment's notice. And to do that technically for my job is a big challenge. Constantly upgrading, constantly keeping things moving, keeping the infrastructure in place. Again, it's, it's like every day is going to be different. Yeah, like you say, I do have a dream job. I have the best job as far as I'm concerned in the world. What I could probably say to anybody else if so, they want to get involved with this business, find a company that is exploding. <laughs> and you'll never be bored, I'm saying. It'll always be something different. Find a company with a hungry crowd, basically. Yeah. Here's a question. So how do you manage 
kind of a higher return on investment then. So how do you find these problems and solve them? Are you waiting for something to blow up or are we doing some kind of data analysis in the modern day world now? How are we doing that? Well, right now it's mostly, yeah, there's a lot of analysis involved with figuring out you know, where we're going to be going. A lot of that has to do with the business itself. My department is really geared towards being customer service oriented. The users, quote unquote, are what really drive what we do. And that's including all the way up to the E&C level. So you have your CEO, CFO driving the company towards a certain direction. And that will pretty much dictate to say, how do we support that? How do we create an environment so that the company can be agile? And when we need to make decisions that will change the company, what type of environment can we build to allow us to do that? So that's constantly driving what we're doing. And that's, well, for instance, I mean, our whole infrastructure in the past three years has gone from, I would say, crumbling to close to state-of-the-art where we have very few places where we have technology that's older than maybe two years. And we're just constantly trying to get that gap to be smaller. So we're pushing the business and the technology that we're using to be as close to, if not right at the cutting edge, you know, up to including, you know, we just replaced our entire telecom system, completely replaced that, completely replaced all of the hardware in our campus here in Scotts Valley last year. So we have all of our switches and all of our communications are at least less than a year old right now. And the next step for us is moving our entire data center to Ecolo, moving it to INAP. It's coming out of the closet, as we say. It's kind of a joke mm-hmm. that we're, our data center is in the closet and it's going to be coming out soon. The idea is so that we have the three things that drive my direction more than anything else is you know, disaster recovery, business continuity, and high availability, making sure that we are meeting those requirements every day. And that will drive everything that we do as far as you know, supporting the infrastructure, software we're using, and you know, the three to five year, where are we going to be in three to five years? And always looking at that and saying, how do we get to that point? And how do we see that? You know, and how do we drive the business to continue to grow? Those are the things that drive what IT does, at least at threshold, up to including things like bringing on an MSP. We realized that we just couldn't really staff up to really meet the requirements. So we partnered with a company to support our infrastructure and actually be the first tier for help desk. And as things come across that are higher priority things, we need boots on the ground. That's where you know, my guys get involved and actually start doing something. Otherwise, we're focusing on much higher level aspects of the business as opposed to, you know, break, fix, replacing keyboards, mice, what have you. That stuff's like very low priority to, are we going to go to 3PL? Are we going to move from a distribution center to something else? How do we do that? What technology do we need? Those are the things that really, as you say, are driving what we do in IT and in our competition as well. You know, there's all sorts of external things that we have to take in consideration is that one of the things that we really like about the business that makes the business really great is that the health industry outside of medical, you're talking about health, activity, vitamins, good foods, organics, and things like that. We all partner together. We do have competition, but we partner with our competition. We actually distribute our competition because it's important that, you know, as a business that we stay innovative and that we allow other companies to be disruptive. And that's important because that's going to change the industry. It's going to make things better. But it's also going to mean that you're going to have to change things quickly to be competitive and to stay within the industry. And that's where, you know, that's, that's what's driving our business. And the business needs to go that direction. That's where IT needs to go. Just out of curiosity, what do you guys do exactly? Are you helping people white label or mix or make their own products as well? 
or is there anything particular that's growing really fast that you see? We don't do a lot of make-to-order products. Most of it is driven by certain requirements. If you go to our website, sourcenaturals.com, kind of gives you an idea of you know the wide swipe of different types of products, everything from prenatal just to your vitamin A, your vitamin B+, plus, vitamin D, things like that. And then we have like the number one immune system product in the world right now, which is the uh, Source Naturals Wellness. It's won the video award for 14 years in a row. It's products like that. We're branding ourselves for people when they go to look at the shelf that they're going to see that maybe our product's a little bit more expensive than some other people's products, but they recognize the brand. Our mm. customers tell us a lot that they see our brand and they, they will actually choose it over another, even though it might be slightly more expensive because they know they mm. can rely on it. They know that it does do what it says it does and it does have what's in it. A lot of things like that, that, you know, with the business that we look at that come up where it's interesting that the, like one of our biggest disruptors out there is Dr. Oz. All he has to do is mention one thing that uh, people haven't really? heard of before. And now we have to start making it. Things like that that drive us in those kinds of directions. So what we do is we manufacture two different brands, Source Naturals and Planetary. Those are our, you know, our foundation, our, our bread and butter, so to speak. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that really help us make the money. But mm-hmm. what also gets us into people's stores is that we distribute all the other brands as well. So if you want Now Foods, if you want Natrol, if you want Twin Lab or Nature's Way or any of the other good yeah. manufactured products, you can get it from us and we can distribute it to you. I mean, in some cases, depending on when you're in the middle of the country or on the outskirts, we can get it to you within at least 48 hours. And we're a B2B. We don't do a mass market, but we do support our customers. If you buy our product and you have issues with it or you have questions, we do support it in a way that says, you know, we want to support you. It's not just us. And again, it's kind of like, like IT, the company drives us, but the company is driven by what people want, what people need. What's your kind of like, visionary type of conversations look like with the board? Is it people in a room talking to each other? Is it you on a weekly basis talking to C-level executives and saying, hey, you know, what about this? What's the the relationship there that's beyond the replacing keyboards and mice? It's kind of interesting in that we are still a single owner proprietorship. We have a board of directors and it's the owner. (laughs) We have a CEO that's separate from the owner, tries to have an arm's length relationship with the C-level and more let the CEO and the CFO drive the company. But the owner is a visionary, I would say at the genius level and capable of understanding and seeing a lot of the detail about the company. So a lot of the direction that we get, we do get from him. The main thing is that between the C-levels and the E's with that they do meet two or three times a week, they have a list of priorities. We have basically a gatekeeping committee where when somebody says, hey, that we want to do this, it goes through a whole process of what's the ROI, what's the actual investment, what's the risk. You know, if we do it, what will happen? If we don't, what will happen? That kind of thing. We go through that process. That will and does constantly change our priorities as far as what we're focusing on and what the company's focusing on. Do you take this vision and then apply cutting edge technology to it? How do you apply technology to this? Well, it depends on what it is. Everything from, like, for instance, being able to deal with some of the newer requirements that we have with the FDA and how we test and how we are regulated, realizing that we didn't necessarily have the right equipment. You know, we said, what equipment is available that does that? And you go through kind of a high-level requirement process. Like I mentioned when we were chatting before, we bring multiple people in from different areas and, you know, look at the high-level requirements and say, does it meet it? 
if it does meet it, then again, what's the initial resource investment? Not as much money, but what is it going to take to get it to work? And then what's that going to look like? And then how long can we sustain that? And will we have to sustain that? And those are the things that are going to make the decision on what type of technology we use and who we're going to go with, what types of support we're going to get. And then at the end of the day, when you're looking at your options, then you say, okay, what's our investment? And you say, if this investment is made, what's our return? And at that point in time, that's pretty much where the decision gets made. And it's not made, you know, it's not made in a vacuum. It's made by a group of people that actually have a vested interest in the success of the process. And that works most of the time. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't. There's always personalities and there's always people have their gut feelings. And sometimes those get involved. But really the bottom line for me is kind of encouraging a certain level of conflict is always a good thing. Avoiding the conflict is not really what you want to do because you're not necessarily going to end up with the results you want. Because if you have conflict and you know that there's going to be some edginess to it, that there's going to be some, you know, a little bit of a point, then you know that you're really in in the right place. Because, you know, if there's no conflict, somebody's not bringing something to the table. And that to me is, that's the thing where most of the time I get involved because it's gotten to the point where there needs to be some type of, I guess we'd say not as much the conflict resolution, but visibility. Why is there a conflict? Let's look at the data. Let's look at the information that we have. Let's look at who we're talking to. That's usually when I have to get involved. But most of the time, it's, it's like I'm taking direction pretty much from that group. You know, I, I do what they want me to do. <laughs> They're the ones concerned with the industry. They're the ones that have the experience about you know, how do we get the product to the end user and how do we get it into a way that's going to help us not only sustain ourselves, but sustain them because that's our job. It's going to keep us in business. You know, and if that's the technology we're going to use, then that's what we use. And I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to what the solution is as to is it the right solution. That's really the most important thing for me. Man, this has been a great conversation, completely eye-opening. If you had like one piece of advice or anything out there that we haven't covered or, or one final message or anything like that, the listeners, just so you know, are mostly kind of like mid-market IT leadership. Do you have any piece of advice or anything for anyone out there listening? I think the best piece of advice I've ever gotten from anybody is don't become good at something you don't like to do. I really like doing what I'm doing right now and I enjoy it and it makes my life a good thing as opposed to just the job. My hobby is my job. You know, this is what I love to do. And what I don't want to do is something that I don't like to do. And if you learn how to do something, make sure it's what you really want to do because, you know, that's what's going to happen. I see it a lot where people get kind of stuck into a rut and it's because they don't like what they're doing. That really sucks. True. (laughs) That would suck. Man, deep thoughts. So, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. Man, I look forward to seeing you guys continue to grow. And I want to know what the next big problem is that you guys solve. Our biggest problem right now is just staying in stock. (laughs) That's really it. They say the biggest business problem is growing too fast. That's it. All right. Thanks, Phil. 